You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Interstate Batteries offers a wide variety of batteries for your everyday needs. Stop into one of their thousands of retail locations and talk with a battery specialist about batteries for your truck, trail cameras, and even those weird batteries for your rangefinder. Interstate Batteries even offers cell phone repair in certain locations. For more information, visit interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. This episode is brought to you by Outdoor Class. Outdoor Class is an online video platform geared towards making you a better hunter. Watch instructional videos taught by hunting experts like Remy Warren, Randy Newberg, and Corey Jacobson. After the hunt, learn how to prepare your harvest from world-class wild game chefs like Hank Shaw and Jamie Tagan. Whether it's your first year hunting or you grew up doing it, Outdoor Class will take your skills up a notch. Use code EMPIRE20 at checkout to save 20% off. Visit OutdoorClass.com to learn more. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. What's up, everybody? Happy Monday. Welcome back to the Michigan Wild Podcast, and I'm your host, Marcus Ewing. All right, today I have for you Jared Walker. Uh, Jared is the owner of Flint Ridge Rifles here in Michigan, um, and it is, as the name sounds, he builds custom rifles um, <clears throat> for for different people for different uh, purposes, I suppose, uh, whether you maybe just like just shooting, uh, whether you're, you know, a big game hunter, whether, you know, you take your trips out West, uh, or, you know, maybe you just like hunting, you know, here in Michigan, um, you know, he can certainly put together, um, a great firearm for you as well. So we get to kind of dive into that, how, how Jared got started, um, really like where his passion kind of comes from for, for shooting long range growing up in Arkansas and, you know, how, how hunting or what hunting was like for him growing up and uh, where the, uh, I guess the the interest, the curiosity first kind of started for him uh, with long range uh, shooting uh, coming from his grandpa. So, I mean, for those of you out there who are really into um, 
firearms, um, you know, different uh, load weights, uh, you know, all this type of stuff and just kind of geek out on it. Uh, Jared goes on a pretty good run there and I didn't stop him uh, because he was saying a bunch of stuff that (laughs) quite honestly, like I, I didn't know everything that he was saying. I mean, I could kind of use context enough to figure out what he was talking about, but no, it's, I, I always really enjoy when someone kind of gets on a roll talking about stuff that, that they really enjoy because you can, you can just see it. Um, you can hear it in their voice. Uh, so it's always kind of cool to <clears throat> hear someone, uh, speak about something or speak on something that they're passionate about. So we get to talk about that. We get to talk about, you know, taking shots, um, on animals at long range. Um, you know, why there seems to be over the past decade or so, um, more and more people becoming interested in, uh, potentially having the capabilities to take these long range shots. Um, the importance of practicing said long range shots and, you know, why it's something that it's a lot like archery. We talk about where, you know, if you're practicing out to a hundred yards, you know, that makes that, you know, 40 yard shot or 50 yard shot potentially, um, you know, feel a lot easier. Uh, than if you don't really ever practice out to 50 or you only practice out to 50. Uh, so we talk about that um, and then kind of re- kind of close things up, uh, you know, just talking about our Michigan season this past year. Uh, both of us were kind of in the same boat uh, with with how things really played out. Uh, so, you know, it was just a, a really fun conversation with Jared. And, um, you know, for those out there listening, if you are in the market or you've ever thought about it, uh, give Jared a call, hit him up on social media or through his website, uh, any of that stuff, because the guy is a absolute wealth of knowledge and information when it comes to, to firearms and building a custom firearm. Uh, and it's, he's just a great person to, to be able to speak to and, and makes an, um, absolutely incredible firearm as well. So episode 16, I don't know. I think I did this last week where I couldn't remember what it was Uh, with Jared Walker. Enjoy, everyone. All right. I'd like to welcome into the podcast today from Flint Ridge Rifles, Jared Walker. Jared, how are you, sir? Doing good, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I'm glad we were able to kind of turn this thing around in in pretty short order. Um, We've we've known each other for a few years now. We first got introduced um, through the Average Conservationist podcast. We had a chance to We've caught up at a few different like BHA events over the over the course of the last couple of years. Did a really awesome uh, cleanup at a state game area um, last two summers ago. I yep. guess it was at this point. Um, so when it came time to to start this podcast, I was like, I, it was inevitable I was going to get you on. It was just a matter of when I was going to be able to or when we were going to be able to make our uh, schedules and everything align and, and work out there. Oh well, yeah, it's a uh, it's a good time too because um, if folks want rifles. For the well, now's the time to start talking about things. <laughs> well, that's exactly what I was thinking. Was you know what? Now is probably the best time for us to talk about it because if someone wants that rifle for you know for next year for that you know big hunt that maybe they have planned for next fall out west or something like that, like now is probably a good time to get in Jared's ear and and try to get something rolling. Yeah, and um, and one of the things too is like everybody's seen it. Um, one of the biggest things that we've seen in the last couple of years and really COVID hit it like crazy, right? Where the um, increase in lead times. Um, so something that I've been looking at over the last, really the last month or so is, um, and I've tell anybody like, you know, defiance has been OEM and uh, the actions for us, right. For, mm-hmm. um, 
on a lot of our build, custom builds. Um, and now I will just tell you this right now, like the lead times, you know, for it to say Flint Ridge Rifles Ascent or Ridge Runner or Bomber, right? Each new order I put in right now is like 15 months out, right? Holy so God. that's what, yeah, so that's, and some of them are out to 18 months, right? So that's where what I've been telling folks is the base of these items are, the the ruckus the anti or the anti and um the tenacity actions right so we can still build the same quality stuff right um something else that just came out the last week or two is um price increases so um defiant defiance took probably a 50 to 60 percent price increase so it's I, you know, and that's why, like, if you see on the website, like, I don't have prices listed there and it's like call for pricing and availability because <clears throat> I'm going to do the best I can to try to get you the best deal. But things are moving like crazy. Right? right. So stocks went up this last year. Barrels went up. Bottom metals, anything that had component metal pieces all went up like crazy in 22. Right. So and sometimes like you get the normal first of the year increases, but there were mid year. And then this now there was a pretty big step change here with, you know, coming into 23 with some of these. Um, so what we're doing is, is we're looking at others out there that have very good quality stuff, right. Yeah. That we know that we've built on, um, like there's some ter- like terminus actions. There's, um, you know, obviously we're still going to do stuff on defiance, but terminus is some other good ones. Uh, um, stillers kind of where we started the whole thing, get off stiller action. So, um, and then we will still too do some of the pieces of off of if you already have a Remington 700 and you want to do a rebuild, right? Yeah. Um, a Christensen makes a good rebuild too. Um, I realize it's kind of funny to think about like taking a Christensen, but <laughs> it, you know, you take to me, I look at it like it's a $1,500 rifle, but I'm like, that's a good platform to start from because yeah. it's yeah, so funny. Bad. I'm like, what do we do is we basically just rob, you know, the, the the trigger the bottom metal of the receiver and then we scrap a lot of times the stock in the barrel right yeah. and so that's a good platform and somebody's like i'm going to spend 1500 bucks but i'm like you're going to spend f- now actions cost six fifteen sixteen hundred bucks so Jeez. you can buy an entire rifle right now and start your rebuild and and, and think about it that way yeah but yeah it's, it's been some pretty steep increases yeah i mean i i can't say that i'm surprised to hear that i mean everyone is is pretty aware of inflation and you know supply um supply chains and, and things like that and just the cost of like goods has you know i mean everyone saw what you know the price of lumber did what was it was it 21 when it was just astronomical through the roof mm-hmm. um eggs when, are five dollars a dozen right now yeah i mean come on <laughs> the world we live in yeah um from a manufacturing standpoint are you seeing um like a shortage of labor or like a shortage of labor causing delays for to like to get some of these pieces and you know like a barrel or something like that made or or a new stock machined or something like that um i will tell you this right now like where we you've seen where when i gravitate towards certain pieces and certain uh, manufacturers it's because of their reliability in those lead times right um we do most of our stocks now with AG composites. They're it's such a good stock, and they're quick. They're on average, um, you know, they're like twelve to fourteen weeks on lead time on the stock. That's very good. That's a very yeah. good lead time. I mean, if you can do it, because everything we do is made to order, right? Right. Because right. it's custom based off what you like, right? Your colors, your spec, all those things. 
And then when I get that deposit, I'm immediately placing all those component orders, right? Um, AG's just solid. We haven't had any issues with them. The quality of their stocks, I put them up against any manners or anything else out there. Manners is still a good one. Um, we still use them, but you're going to be probably six to seven months on lead time of getting your stocks in. Um, barrels, um, we use multitude of barrels, right? So um, we use from the, and I will tell you too, majority of the builds are, um, I'd say we're probably doing nine, you know, 80, 90% are still carbon fiber barrels, right? Because most people are looking for that lightweight backcountry, right, you right. know, type, long, you know, rifle. Um, but we're using proof. We're using Oregon Mountain Barrels, um, Carbon 6 um, as well. So then when, and the reason why I really like these new Carbon 6 is because they use um, McGowan as their cores. And we've been using McGowan more on our stainless steel barrels and have had really good, you know, accuracy and performance out of those barrels. So it makes me feel good to know that, that you know, that Carbon 6 has got that core, but I'd put any one of them up against each other and just know that, you know, they're all going to shoot. Yeah, six one half dozen the other when it comes to yeah, those. Yeah, it, it really gets, it gets flavor. It's flavor at that point. What do you like, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> and then with each flavor comes a cost, and that's sure. and that's where it's at. Yeah. Now, obviously, you know, here in Michigan, the rifle is like this. And I, so to give people, I, I'm speaking because I know that you're not originally from Michigan. Right. Um, but, you know, you've been here long enough, you know, you mm -hmm. kind of know the lay of the land and everything like that and kind of what the the culture, the tradition is when it comes to, to hunting, especially like rifle hunting during deer season. And, you know, for, gosh, what, probably 95% of, of hunters in Michigan, like if you had just like a 270, like, and this is speaking, you know, north of the, of the shotgun. Of line. the line, right? Yeah. Yep. That, you know, a 270 is more than you're probably ever going to need. I mean, it's going to get you out there a couple hundred yards, it's an accurate, reliable weapon. Do you see a lot of your custom builds coming from Michigan or is it a lot of, or maybe Michigan residents who, you know, are planning that, you know, once in a lifetime, you know, hunt, or they're looking for like this, you know, generational, you know, firearm that can be passed down from generation to generation, which, you know, for the most part, even, you know, not very good rifles are, are a lot of times used like that. I mean, I have two old out sixes, 30 out sixes from one from my dad and one from my grandpa that, you know, for the most part sit in the safe. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, to answer your question now, a good, uh, decent amount from Michigan, but I would say they're kind of all over the country. Yeah. Right. So, um, I just think like Texas, Tennessee, South Carolina, Kentucky, Ohio. Um, I'm just trying to think like Arkansas, things that are just popping off the top of my head right, right now. Right. You know what I mean? Of, of other places, uh, Washington, uh, Montana. So like it, you know what I mean? It, it's kind of funny. It's pot. It's actually kind of all over the country. Yeah. Right. Um, and really where we're seeing some of those is where maybe the connection where you've talked about like through BHA or some of these other maybe events, things that I've done or been out, <clears throat> you know, that, that I think uh 2% for conservation is great too, because it's been out there. Folks have seen that they've called, right? And yeah. I think that's been part of it too. Um, um, yeah, because that one, the build that we did for um, Craig Francis, you know, from Sitka, um, his build, because that tied in with Leupold and that whole video around that piece, you know, we got on the website and then some guy's like, hey, I saw you did this thing, you know, and got a call, right? So we're building him a 7 PRC, right? So that's, it's natural, you know, how some of those things flow. Yeah, kind of snowballs, word of mouth. Yeah, and, yeah. And um, especially in, 
in kind of the area that you operate with, you know, custom rifles, right? Like that's what yeah. it's, it's going to be a lot of, a lot of word of mouth. Um, you know, if the right person, you know, stumbles across, you know, your website or, you know, happens to order one of your rifles, you know, he tells a friend, you know, it's just, that's like, how we get it out. It's that word of mouth. It's yep. great. And I really appreciate it. We do. Um, to answer your 270 question, I think it's really, I think I love it because you said the 270. Um, below the line, I'm going to be just like everybody else. Yeah. Okay. Um, I have, and I use a 450. Now, I have a Mossberg Patriot. Now, mine probably is not going to look like the one that when you go into Dunham's and buy, just because <laughs> I, I took that thing before I put a single round down the barrel. I hand lapped that barrel just like the way a custom barrel would be. Okay. Right. And I polished that thing to where it was crazy smooth. Um, I put an aftermarket brake on there. Um, I took that plastic stock, right? And I betted it just the same way I would, we would do one of our custom, you know, guns. And then because those plastic stocks tend to, um, you know, flex, right. I took that entire barrel channel and I epoxied that entire thing and I stiffened it up just to so keep that, it in place. Yeah. Just to keep it and to make it stiff. I can sit there at a hundred yards and pretty much cut bullet holes with my 450, which <laughs> right? is, which is, I mean, I mean, that's not necessarily the intended purpose, right? Like no. they're not, they're not supposed to have that MOA when, when no, you buy something no. off the shelf at Dunham's or, you know, wherever you're going to get it from. No. So basically what I did was I just took a factory one and I accurized it the best way I knew how, you know, stuck. And I mean, I'm not doing it. It's literally a Leupold on top, a three to nine by 50, very X2, simple duplex. Just there's nothing fancy. It is literally a point and shoot kind of gun. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. That's what I'm using below the line, just like everybody else. Yeah. Right. Now, talk about that above the line, that 270. Okay. So one of the, what was really cool was um, it was kind of a surprise thing. I didn't know it was coming, but we came out with our 270 Walker, right? Which is the 270 Winchester, and it's improved. Okay. So basically, you fire form 270 Winchester ammo through our chamber design. Right. Right. Only it blows that shoulder out and it improves it to like a modern design, similar to like what you would see, like a 280 actually improved. Okay. Right. OK. So then now I'm able to take and, and what we've done is we've gone to fast twist barrels. Right. So with those faster twists, I can now shoot in my 270 all the way from 110 grain bullet shooting varmints all the way to the 170 grain bullets. Right. So That's a big gap. It's a big gap. So what's cool is, is, and that gun is sitting here in the safe and it's got a laminated stock on there. It's got black. Now what's really cool about this one was since, you know, it was, it took, it was a stock off one of our, one of my old, one of my other builds, right? It has that cool old laminated, you know, that laminated stock. It's gray. The core of that, that receiver is from 1967. Okay. So you got the original. It's that yeah, it's the original you know Remington receiver from 1967. That's basically has a new barrel on it, a trigger tech trigger, and it's been bedded into that stock, right? And so I kind of at first I kind of stuck a um, a carbon fiber stock on there, went down all this other pieces, and, and I'm like, you know what? The core of this thing is meant to be the tradition, right. which is the 270, right? I know that it's probably going to be heavier. I don't care. I'm not yeah, carrying here. it up and over mountains. Right. I'm literally going to be walking from here to my stand. And let's say if I go make a loop, I might walk 
a couple, two or three miles in the day. Yeah. Big deal. It's going to yeah. be slung over my shoulder, but it's going. But I've got that cool looking, just classic, you know, cartridge that if I wanted to, I could take it out west, right? Right. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. Possible. A lot of guys do it every year. Right. The 270 will get it done, and it's going to get it done. I mean, you know, that cartridge is what 90 years old right now, or something like that. Yeah. And yeah, to have that, that flexibility, um, with, you know, the different size rounds you want to use from a grain standpoint. Um, I mean, that, that there's a lot to be said about that because a lot of times, you know, the moment you, you know, jump up in grains or something like that, you got to redial everything in, you know, it's just not going to shoot the same as, as what it was before. So to have that, that accuracy from kind of the lower limits to the high, you know, to the top limits of that, I mean, that's, that takes a lot of, you know, guesswork or a lot of, you know, just preparation out of it when you do hit the field regardless of you know like you said it's varmints or you know maybe you do take that thing out west and try to put an elk down or something yeah and i think that's the beauty of what we've seen over the last several years of the advancements and um you know the the long range game has caught on crazy in the last say you know 10 years right right? um but with that there's been the advancements in twist rates and bullets and all these other things that we're getting as the advantage now. Right. So, and when you put that faster twist, it's like going back to this, like if somebody's like, well, I want to shoot a copper. Well, cool. Shoot the 129 grain, you know, Barnes LRX out of your 270, And you could have one load that does everything. Yeah. Right. Oh, but yeah. it's going to stabilize it. Right. So, or you can jump up and be like, I want to shoot. A, and what I did this year was like, I killed a whitetail with that thing shooting 140 grain bullets. Right. Okay. But I also had these, you know, 96 grain bullets. And then I have the 130s. I have 140s. I have 145s. And I have 170s. So it's kind of fun just to try a bunch of different stuff. Now, from your standpoint, like you just talked about kind of like the, even like that, that short range, you know, the 130, 140, 145. Are you using those for, you know, different game or is that just kind of like a, a preference on, on what you yeah. want to use at that time? I'll, I'll tell you here too. Like I look at it like I'm, when I start stepping up, um, I look at like that, uh, the, up to that 270, like those are my deer rounds, right? Yeah. Oh, That's yeah. the way I look at it. Like that is your antelope, your mule, your whitetail and mule deer, yeah. right? You can use it on elk. I'm not going to, right? I really, I don't even know if I'll ever kill an elk with that gun, but I'm, it's probably, I'll probably kill a mule deer with it, you know, but, and that's just because of where I stand on kind of like how I like to approach it, you know? Yeah. I look at like that six millimeter type stuff. So like a six Creed more 243, great deer gun, right? You can use it all the way to mule deer, but excellent on the varmint side too. So somebody that's right. like a coyote hunter that loves to do that predator hunting, man, that's where I say like, or likes to, you know, do a lot of shooting. That six millimeters. Great. Then you jump up to your six, five, two sixty. You know what I mean? That's another gr- good deer round. Um, another one that I really like are the quarter boards, the two fifty sevens, right? You know, so you've got the 20, 257 Roberts, 25 out six, the two fifty seven Weatherby. We now have our wildcats, two different wildcats now, um, which is, you know, the 25, the 25 Walker, which is the 25 out six improved. And then we also have the 257 Walker Mag, which is our 257 Weatherby blown out and improved. So, you yeah, also we're have a 308 taking, Walker, right? Is that 300 Walker? 300 yep. Walker. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. So what we're doing is, is we're taking a lot of those um, 20th century cartridges and applying 21st century design to them, okay. right? Because there's so many folks that have those older cartridges. 
and you may, and if they're reloaders, let's say like, um, they have those component pieces, right? So this is simply the instance of a rebarrel in many instances and go to that fast twist. Then you have all this brass and component pieces you fire for them and you've just increased your horsepower exponentially by yeah. with some of our cartridges. What we've done too is like, we've, um, you know, changed our, um, the design in that to where our, our tolerances have come down much tighter than what, uh, you would see as the original standpoints. Right. So okay. like you, the further you go back in time, a lot of cartridges had to be made with, let's, let's just say slop or, or, you know, variants because, right. and that's the whole piece too inside of when you talk about a Sammy cartridge versus custom. Right. right. So you can shoot anything Sammy through our chambers and it's going to actually probably be more accurate than what you're getting from the factory just because we've tightened up certain tolerances that will make them inherently more accurate. Yeah. And I mean, tell me if this is a good analogy or not, but it's almost like having a sport, like if you're using, you know, let's say like a, an older barrel with some of the newer tech, uh, you know, newer technology in terms of your rounds. Um, it's almost like having like a, a sports car, but having a shitty set of tires on it, right? Like they're just not matched as, but yeah, as opposed yeah, to yeah. you put those high performance tires on, you know, a sports car and you're going to get that handle, that traction, everything's, they're almost like a pair that's meant to be together as opposed to a pair that could be together, but they just don't coincide or match up, you know, uh, in all the areas that you need perfect, it to. Perfect. Think about, uh, we we're talking about trucks earlier, right? Yeah. My truck, I got it. GMC all-terrain. Why did they put street treads on that thing? Yeah, that's a good question. You know what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. when I got that truck and I was like, and then I'm like spinning out on wet grass. You know what I mean? What good is that going to do me? Yeah. And Don't then I'm like, I put on terrain. Exactly. And then I put a set of BFG KO twos on there. That thing will go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's not just GM. I mean, all, all automotive they manufacturers all are guilty of that. Right. Like, yeah. you know, like my, I mean, I have a Ford and it's like the FX four. So they advertise it's kind of like a bit of their off-road package. Like it's got, you know, the skid plates and shit underneath, yep. but yeah, it's just a pair of like everyday, you know, highway tires on it. Right. Like they're not, like there's times where I like I have to put my truck in like four high and I'm like, why the hell am I having to do this? Like, cause I just can't get any traction with the tires that they gave me. Oh, you want to know my point? Why I took that truck because the first year I had it, I went to Colorado and I was on a hunt and I'm on this road at eleven thousand feet. I go just to turn around on the road and I literally punch a hole straight through the bottom of the tire and. All I'm doing is turning around, but there was like, I don't know if it's a stop or something, you know, and it stick and it just poof. And here I am on my hunt. I have to break out everything, change a tire, then go drive to the nearest Walmart Supercenter because that's the only thing I could find sure, oh, that yeah. had a tire in my size. It killed an entire day of my hunt, yeah. right? And I'm like, this is crap. I'm not doing this again. Yeah. <laughs> and then get this the next day. It snowed like a foot, foot and a half. So and then I'm like, I couldn't even get up to where I was wanting to go. And I'm hunting some of the foothills trying to hike up high. And I'm like, that point, I made some major changes in my setup on I'm not going to have my truck be a hindrance on me getting to where, where I want to get to yeah. as far as like into the backcountry and whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I got to believe that for a lot of, um, you know, guys who are going out West, especially coming from the Midwest here, like I got to believe that that's, that's an issue that they run into all the time is, I mean, you don't think about the truck. Like, is it going to get me there? Yeah. Okay, great. 
check that off the off the list but it's like once you get there is it actually going to get you where you want to go and where you need to go yep um i um i have a full kit like in the back of my truck i am ready to like if i think of like if crap goes south right like what the what if plan be the boy scout and be be planned, you know, be ready for anything. Be prepared. So I literally go in there, like in the back of my, I, when I go out to Colorado, I have chains, right? Mm -hmm. So if it snows, like I can stick those chains on, I've got an ax. I have multiple ways. I've got this giant fairy tug rope. Then I've got a, a, um, I've got a, what did I say? I had the ax. I have a jumper box, right? I have all these other recovery type things. I keep a, you know, of course I have like a sleeping thing if something goes, whatever, but. Yeah, you can't get out the and get what if, The what if scenarios, I carry a chainsaw, small chainsaw, um, because, and you, know, you think, why do you need a chainsaw? Well. Trees down in the path. You never know. So like in 21, I'm in Montana and hunting the last day. And then it starts putting, you know, weather comes in on us and we're having to hike off the mountain. We're all fogged in. We get down to the truck. We start going out. And at this point, like at the end of our hunt, so we're going to go drive back to Bozeman and get in the hotel. And lo and behold, here's a tree across the road and we are way back in there. And I've ripped that thing out and saw it up and on our way. So you never know. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, being being prepared and, and maybe it's just because I'm paying attention to it more, but it seems like there's, um, you know, more people out there who are kind of preaching that, that mindset of preparedness, you know, regardless of the situation. And I think some of them might be for, I don't want to say over the top, but they're more for call it. I don't want to say like real world scenarios isn't probably the right way to put it. But, you know, scenarios where there, it's more, I think, kind of like self-defense type stuff, not necessarily yeah. in the backcountry, which, I mean, you can take the um, the sentiment, you know, and, and apply it to, you know, going out west, you know, hunting or something like that. But, I mean, hell, there's times in Michigan here where you get into some public land, you get in, you know, three, four miles back in on a two-track or something like that, and all of a sudden there's nowhere to turn around because the tree's down or something like that, and you're like, well, shit, what are we going to do here? Uh, I've been there. I uh, did it. I was up in the UP bear hunting and I'm like, I, I thought there was a place where I could actually utilize my, you know, four wheeler and on a couple, you know, trails and I'm going down this road and I'm next thing you know, the same thing. Like there's a gate across a road. And I'm like, this was not on the map. <laughs> Those gates never are. <laughs> and I was like, uh, what is this? So here I am, you know what I mean? Trying to turn around, you know, with a trailer. I'm like, don't do that again. (laughs) So, Jared, what even got you into building custom rifles? You know, um, we've always been kind of obsessed on the accuracy side with everything. Um, Me, I feel like it was natural in the fact of, like, through generations of hunters who you know like i look back at my dad and i talk about my great grandpa hickman um he's the one that he lived out in colorado for a while and um he used to take some you know they used to call them artillery type shots (laughs) you know what i mean yeah because like you would just it was all that holdover right but he used to make some pretty good long shots back in the day using like a 270 or 300 winner you know something like that on on mule deer and mule deer was kind of his game right uh he took a lot of good mule deer on some pretty good shots well 
that kind of like came down to my dad, you know what I mean? And so we, we shot three Oh eights forever. Okay. okay. Um, and dad shot a Winchester model 100, which was auto loading, you know, uh, semi-auto 308. And I shot a model 88 lever action, which came from my grandpa Hickman. Right. So back then, um, we were still, so we're, you know, originally from, you know, from Arkansas, we could run dogs back then deer. Right. right? So I've killed no telling how many deer running and I'm pretty good at shooting at running game. Right. Um, I can, I can sling a bolt action surprisingly well. You know what I mean? So deer drives are kind of right up my alley. It doesn't bother me one bit. You know what I mean? Seeing something come through, like, but I'm just trained on that. We also, we coyote hunt during the winter back there with dogs shooting running game. Right. So it's kind of like, I, you know, it's, it's, if you're trained at it, sling it, you know what I mean? But those, but over the years that, that, that piece phased out on that dog hunting, you know, it became to where you couldn't, you could no longer do it. It became illegal. Right. So that transition, we were then setting up on spots where it's like, you're taking longer shots, right. And you're out there and you want, and that was kind of like that transition to using more bolt action, you know, the Remington 700s or what have you. And we've always been obsessed with like, can you hit that? Can you shoot that? You know what I mean? <laughs> and I do it all the time, right? You know what I mean? I'm out there. I'm like, I see a rock someplace. I'm like, I wonder how far that is. And I just range it and I'll bust rocks. Like I shoot rocks when I'm out West. And if there's nothing happening or I'm in an area that's blown up, I don't care, man. I'm taking, I'm taking, I practice. I always use the, as a scenario of like, this is a good opportunity to practice in a field situation. Right. right? Getting so, up, yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? It's kind of like you're sitting up there deer hunting. There's nothing going on. And there's a crow sitting out there at 500 yards. And you're like, what if I can hit that crow? Yes, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It, or there's a coyote that pops that, that runs out. Right. You know what I mean? At three or 400 yards. So, and then we got to where we were trying to really like 500 yards was our mark. Right. You know what I mean? It was kind of like, can we do something at 500 yards? Um, we did not have, and it was all holdover right at yeah. the time. You know what I mean? Um, and I think it was probably somewhere around, oh, 2008 or somewhere around there was the first time I'd made, I, I knew how much my, you know, like I kind of knew my velocity, I knew kind of my drop and I had these deer feet out at five, a little over 500 yards and I did the drop and it was like one of those take the shot and kill something at 500 yards. And I was like, holy smokes. Right. Yeah. And then over the next couple of years, we got into like, I really learned, um, MOA minutes of angle, right. Um, at the time there weren't all as many calculators in there, but I figured out what the formulas were and I built Excel spreadsheets. I dropped stuff in there. You know what I mean? So I, and then I was using whatever ballistic calculators were available at the time to figure out drop charts. And we still used to count everything in clicks, right? How many clicks does it take to get to that? Um, but the problem was, was, um, your scopes, if you, you know, would dial up with your clicks, how many clicks was that? And you oh, would, yeah, you lose track. You know what I mean? You would go about right four. back. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, you would screw up, right? Um, and then, whereas, like, now you have zero reset turrets, right? So once that's done, you just dial up, go back. Um, so, you know, to get back to answer your question, like, we were always obsessed with kind of like that accuracy piece, yeah. right? Well, there's only so much you can do with factory. Right. Until mm-hmm. you want to get to that next level of accuracy. 
right? Or like you, we were talking about earlier, I want to shoot that next heavier class of bullet, right? Right. So let's look at um, my, I when I really get it, so my 21st birthday, I got a seven, seven millimeter Remington Ultra Mag, right? So big boomer. I was kind of like, uh, it was a, it's a rocket, right? So that thing, but at the time, Remington was pumping out 140 grain and 150 grain bullets for it. And I think they might have done 175 grain flat, you know what I mean? Just like a heavy, deep kind of, but it was nothing in the high BC whatever, right? It was all on the principle at the time, pre, like, you know, like laser range finding. Everything yeah. was about how fast and how flat can you make that bullet travel, right? Because it was like, what's your whole, what's your basically, basically your maximum point blank distance, right? right? Well, on something like that, you said it three inches high at a hundred, dude, you got a 400 yard gun. Oh, you want to mean with, without having to make any adjustments on deer size game. Right. So that's kind of what, you know, and then when, um, I think it was, oh, we're coming up on it. So 10 years ago, I started elk hunting out in Colorado. Um, and I, and I would go to Colorado prior to that, just like hiking, backpacking, doing all the other stuff. So, and I've always been into hiking, backpacking, but, and, and, and hunting in that type of terrain, like even where I'm from in the Ozarks, right? Like I hunt like hills and up and down, all that kind of stuff, but I want to be able to shoot ridge to ridge. Yeah. Right. Um, and even if you think about like one of our models, right, the Ridge runner, it's how I hunt. Okay. I run ridges. You know what I mean? If you look at like what I do is I get up to the top and I just, I literally run ridges out West and you know what I mean? Move glass and move. Yep. And I will run ridges until I get on the game. Right. And that's typically how I hunt. I start high and then I work my way down. Right. But I'll run the ridges. Um, and I wanted to be able to shoot, you know, longer. We all wanted to. And then that allowed us to kind of get into the game to where then, Instead of that one inch, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Accuracy that everybody says, which I'm going to tell you right now, not all guns shoot. And if they're older guns, two inches, three inches, let's take, let's go, but let's even think about this. Pie plate accuracy. Right. Remington model 7400 and a 30 out six or a 308. You're going to be happy if you put three shots in that pie plate. And if you can see a, a three or four inch group sometimes at 100 yards. That would still kill a deer. It's still going to work right now, and it's going to put meat in the freezer from now until, you know, whenever. Right. Oh, yeah. But that's not going to work at three, four, five hundred 500 yards. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah, so, those, those errors are just going to be exacerbated, Oh, you mm-hmm. know, the further you get away. Right. So the really, and that's where this whole drive that's gone on to the industry, because we're taking that variation down, right? And... That's why those costs, things cost more is because like to go from one inch to a half inch group, it takes a lot. Now to go from a half to 0.3s and 0.2s, that's why some of these things cost so much money. It takes even more. Yeah. It does. It's kind of like backcountry gear, right? Oh, yeah. It's and like when you start, and... yeah, it's like that move, like somebody's like, well, this pack just works just fine. Right. And somebody else says, well, I have this stone glacier scar. You know what I mean? That will do this. And it weighs three pounds less. You you know what I mean? And that's what they get into. (laughs) Now, with with, I don't want to call it like a like a craze or 
an infatuation, but with more and more guys, you know, wanting to to be able to to make those long range shots. Yeah. Do you think that that comes from just wanting to be able to do it, or do you think that's because they're maybe not wanting to, you know, hike that extra two hundred miles or try to close that distance, or you know, do you think, or do you just think it's because they want to be able to do it? I think it's both. Yeah. But I'll say it in a couple ways. Um, I think people want to be able to go out and punch steel and have fun. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Um, and they want to be able to do that at distance. That's only going to make them better when they go out. Um, where I don't think it's necessarily a lazy thing sometimes. Some people it may be. Yeah. I look at it as there are a lot of shot opportunities out west where they may only present themselves in that four to 600 yard range. Yeah. You can't, and I'm not saying like you could try to close the distance, but that animal may not be there when you try to close it. Yeah. Right. And what's 50 yards at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like you may be on a, on a, on a glassing knob, you know, and you're looking here and this is, this one point is 150. This is, th- you know, and that's what you're doing. You get up there and you take your range finder and you start hitting all the openings. Yeah. You're finding right? landmarks. Yeah. And you're looking at it and you're like, okay, well, maybe something comes out there. And then you have that one that's way out there. You're like, okay, that's way the heck out there. I'm not going to shoot. I'm not even going to attempt to shoot at that because that thing's like 1,200 yards. I'm not even going to do it. But it's a cool opening to look into. Yeah. But from that open, you realize like, well, maybe I could get to here and that cuts it down to, you know, so. Yeah. 1,200 uh, becomes 600 now. That's right. You know, yeah. or 400 or 300, right? So I think you should always try to cut your distance the best you can, right? Because it just minimizes any issues that could happen. Um, but I, I look at it where if you can get to where like we just extended our range, which I haven't even had a chance to shoot on it yet down in Arkansas, all the way out to like 1,325 yards. Right. So, um, I want to get to where like I can wear that steel out at that distance. I'm not going to shoot game at that distance. Right. But, but it, it makes, makes that 600 it, yard shot it feel like a chip shot. Exactly. Yeah. To and where. It, it's the it same just, approach for archery, right? Like that's absolutely. why guys practice out to a hundred, 120 yards because, yep. you know, even when a deer standing at 50, which is, you know, for me, I mean, that's even further than I would want to shoot at a, especially a whitetail at 50 mm-hmm. yards. But you have that confidence that, Hey, if all the conditions are right, you know, there's no wind, you know, the deer's calm, you know, all those things that you're kind of looking at when you go into a shot, it's like, well, I, I feel confident that, you know, I can put it. I can put it in the right spot at 50 yards because you know what, you know, maybe at a hundred yards or 120 yards, like, yeah, maybe your grouping is, is a paper plate, but it's 120 yards. I mean, that's, it's hard. Like try looking through your sight on a bow or your peep on a bow at 120 yards. I mean, you can damn near hardly even see anything, right? Like you're, you're kind of almost guessing to a degree. A hundred yards. I have to use my bubble level. That's my hundred yard. Yeah. Cause that's, I've done it. <laughs> that's I literally, I, I mean, my, I've got pins, I've got seven pins in my, you know, site. So I've got 20 through 80 in my, in mine, you know, yeah. that I'm dialed at, but that diff, but whenever that difference from the bottom pin to the my bubble, bubble <laughs> my bubble levels a hundred yards. So like beyond that, I'm, I'm straight guessing, yeah. but the only reason why is cause like, you know, I've shot it there just to know, but that's what I have to do. 
But that's a good that's a good indicator though, because if you got everything all in one there, you got your level and you've got your your pin <laughs> right there all in I'm one. Not, I'm not making this. That's that's a fun one to play it on a target. There ain't no way in heck I'd ever do that you know, in the field, but whatever. Yeah, but like you said, it's it's the practicing and to go back to your answer there on you know why maybe more and more people are are looking um, to have the ability to make those long range shots. I I tended to think the same way you did that that people just wanted to. Uh, potentially increase their odds their op- or their opportunities at, at game because, yeah, I mean, especially you get into some areas out west. And, yeah, I mean, that's that's just the shot that presents itself, you know, based on terrain, based on, you know, what's on what's on the landscape. I mean, it's just you're not going to be able to get any closer. And, you know, if you can make that shot at, you know, five, 600 yards and feel confident with it, by all means, take it. I, I hear a lot of people who will kind of gripe about, you know, sometimes people making long-range shots and it's like, Oh, it's not ethical and this and that. It's like if I'm practicing at, you know, eight, nine hundred, a thousand yards, you know, consistently and feel confident, that's six hundred. I've got no problem with someone taking that shot. Now, if it's someone like me who, you know, doesn't practice at, at ranges like that and I go out west and I'm like, Well, I know the gun's capable of making the shot. I've not made it before, but hell, we're gonna send one downrange anyway. Well, that's that's irresponsible of me to do that, you know, to to you know, guess on, on trying to take an animal's life. But if you're confident, by all means, let it fly. So I'll, I'll tell a story of myself and I'll probably get hate for it, you know, for the distance this year, but whatever. Um, I put an extreme amount of time into dialing everything that I do. Right. I can attest um, to that. And I've got my load. I've got my velocities. I shoot at drops starting at 300 all the way to a thousand yards, right? Many times I have to build myself a custom profile because of what that is doing. I then have on me a rangefinder that will range out to 3,000 yards, okay? Not everybody has that, right? But I can hit an elk, a deer, ping, and ping right off that animal instantaneously, okay? I'm also holding a Kestrel weather meter that is pulling in at that time with my ballistic profile put in there, my elevation, the atmospheric conditions, the humidity, everything. Okay. And it's reading that back. So then I'm looking at that thing and I'm double checking that when I dial, it's telling me exactly what I need to dial in that moment for that angle, for everything. Right. You have all the information at your fingertips that you could possibly need. So when I, so when it popped out this year, and we've got three of us all set up, right? And we've got somebody that's trying to get on the cow here. Somebody's trying to get on a cow there. And I'm about to make my shot, right? I'm literally anchored in. Everything's solid. I've checked the bubble level on my scope. Everything's level. It is dead set. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it was like, okay. And when it's like, are you the other person? Are you on? No, I'm off. Okay. Are you on? I'm like, I'm on. And they're like, okay, go. And I pull the trigger and it just goes boom. One shot and it just folds at 722 yards. Okay. But I am pretty confident that I could sit there again and make that shot over and over and over again. You know what I mean? Yeah. At, the, at that distance, just because like I am really confident in my skills out to 800 yards. That's just me personally. Right. And that's kind of like my own personal, like little limit that you know what I mean? Right. For me to take something past that, which I'm, completely capable of doing after a thousand yards it gets that much harder from 800 to a thousand and this is why i tell tell everybody just go out there just because your gun's capable don't go do it right right 
put the time, the effort, the practice into doing it to know that it's going to do exactly what you think it's going to do at the moment. If there's doubt, you know what I mean? If I miss, I get, I'm like, what happened? Yeah. I'm like, what happened? Right. Or if I were to miss at that range, I'd be like, eh, that, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, and I have made misses. Yeah. Just so you like, I've made misses at distance where I'm like, I should have used, I should have practiced what I, pre- you know, what I preach to others. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I had an angle. And what I did was, is like, I want to take a high shoulder shot to where if I miss, I'm going to miss over the back of this animal. Right. right? Knowing that what I should probably be doing is aiming low because I've got an angle. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? Right. Because, but it was like just the difference of like that. And, you know, I send it over the back and I'm like, oh man, I shot over the back. You know what I mean? And, and then I'm like, and I make it, uh, make a click and I'm like, yeah, I shot right over. And then I did it again. And I'm like, you know what? I just literally put the gun. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not even done. Yeah, I'm like, we'll wait I'm not doing one. it. I'm not, you know what? I, I did not execute my part. I should have hit that one spot. I'm not even going to make the shot. And I watched the animal just go walk over the hill. Yeah. Well, you know, and when you were kind of talking about your setup there on on the, the shot that you made this past season, I mean, that having, you know, all of those tools at your disposal and having all of those to help give you the right information to make that shot and to put you in the absolute best position to make, you know, to execute it. I mean, maybe I'm just you know, not in the know, but I got to imagine that people who, who go into the field with those tools are few and far between, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I know. unless they know that they're, you know, potentially looking to make a shot, you know, at that distance, then, you know, hopefully they've, they've prepared and they've brought the necessary tools like, like you mentioned. But yeah, most guys aren't bringing all of those things and don't have, you know, no. charts and graphs and everything set up to say, okay, he's at, you know, 720 yards. Okay. Like you can, I mean, you can dial it in to the yardage with all the, the, the pertinent and necessary information to make sure that the drop's going to be right. There's going to be no drift, or if there is, you can account for it by like all those things are check, 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 Yep. you know, settle in and, and, and squeeze the trigger. And then like, but everybody that went with me this year, I built ranch cards for them too. Right. Okay. Cause I built hand loads or did stuff for their guns. Right. So I'm like, if you're going to be with me and then we all had, and then I made duplicate range cards. So that way everybody had a range card for everybody else. Okay. Did Brian so get he, one this year? Yeah. Well, no, he did not get one. Oh man. He was this close, this close. I safety off and the bull takes a step out. I mean, we, we had some, it was pretty epic this year on the Elcon because where we went into, we got in two days early and we kind of camped up high and sat there. And the first night, we, so literally like where we, we it was about two and a half, three miles to hike in. I knew that we were going to break over to this area that had a high meadow and there was going to be a kind of advantage. Mm-hmm. We literally walk into that meadow and there's, a bull ripping off a bugle on that for on the hillside first thing and then year. yeah i i pulled out my um my bugle tube it bugled back another bull fires off on the hillside and we're literally sitting here these bulls are just screaming and all of a sudden the one gets closer i'm like how about we just kind of pull out of here we kind of got high to this glassing spot that we wanted to get to 
we just said, you know what? We're just going to camp up here tonight. Yeah. And we sat up there and watched bulls all afternoon, just screaming their heads off and cows come through and all this other stuff. We went to sleep that night, listened to coyotes yip over here and just bulls bugle through the night. And I'm like, you would talk about like the perfect setting. Yeah. Oh, I bet. Of just sitting there going to sleep. And it's almost like you can't sleep because there are so many elk bugling. Yeah. And you're almost like waiting for the next one, right? Like how long is it going to be before another one rips off here? But I mean, that's, that's the beauty of it, right? Like, oh yeah. Being... And the next morning was great too. Cause then we wake up and there's just elk everywhere. We look over and it's like, we're glassing. Like there's 15 or 20 elk here. There's some elk here. There's elk. And we watched elk move through, right? I stopped counting how many bulls we saw. Right. And it was just like, I mean, we were at like, I don't know, by midday, we'd probably seen 40, 50 elk already. Right. Oh, wow. <laughs> and just, I, and I think probably seen eight, eight or nine bulls by that point, midday. Right. The first day. Jeez. Oh, Pete. And we haven't even this is the scouting day. This is, you know what I mean? This is Friday, right? But what was really interesting is as the outfitters started bringing in the the guys on the horses, it went silent. We did not hear another bugle from Friday at about midday to the rest of the hunt. No kidding. Just, they went, (laughs) just that added pressure. They went silent they were not coming out in the openings that they were coming out in the two previous days. They were hanging tight, coming out of the timber, barely coming into the openings. And they were at first light, last light. Mm. And they were very minimal. It's like that tiny bit of pressure put those bulls into preserve mode. And they were like, and they hold up that quick. Now, and what was crazy is, is the last day, next to last day, I, I miss a, I missed a cow and we were, were like, this is a pretty good spot. It was like not that far from, we had actually kind of pulled our backpack camp and we came back to the base camp that we had set up. Now it was straight up. It was about a 700 to a thousand feet. You just kind of had to go straight up mm-hmm. and we're like, why would anybody want to go up that? Well, we, Brian and I did, and we hiked up there and we're like, is a really good spot if you can hike to the top. You yeah. know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And the next morning, um, the guys were sitting there watching that meadow, and there was a spike that came through. And I'm like, I'm going to go on this other side because I just had this feeling about this one place that we had just come from. I watched an entire herd feed up out. Uh, there was probably, I think, at least four bulls in this group and watched the entire herd. Now, what was cool was the sun – as it start, you know what I mean? That you've got the sun. It, you could watch these elk as the sun line started kind of coming down. They started following it to go right back in the darkness. They came uh-huh. off. They they fed, and then as the light started coming up, they came off the hillside to the that north facing slope, and they went right back down in the dark timber. And I watched them do that, and they I'm just like, followed it right right back to sleep for the day. And it was the epitome of everything that you would hear from a sanctuary. Okay. Uh, okay. Um, boxed in North face to feed that's on a, you know what I mean? A, you know, the feeds on this side that they can come back down. I was like, it's the epitome. So the trails are running one way. It would take you, you have to go up and over and hike in. And I'm like, look at that. It's not even 
where they were hiding from was probably only a mile, mile and a half from the road. Really? Yeah. Just a very, I mean, the, the spot was just exactly what they needed. Yep. And there's, but there's a river kind of running through that you would have to cross and all sorts of deadfall timber that you would have to, if you were to try to come in from the roadside, you're yeah. going to make all sorts of noise and blow them out. Yeah. Trying to know get you're to coming it. well before you even see them. Yeah. So it was, that was, um, it was a great hunt. Like I will definitely go back to yeah. that unit. Um, and you know, you never know. It may it go, go back there again. It may not be nothing like that, but the, the density of elk were made it really, uh, you know, well worth the, the you know, <laughs> the effort. Yeah. So <clears throat> Jerry, before we kind of let you get out of here, cause I know we're kind of midday here. We both got other things we got to get, get done. Yeah. How did, how did your season play out in Michigan here? We kind of, we talked about, about rifles and about out West, but, uh, on the Michigan wild podcast here, how did things go in Michigan this season? <laughs> so Mich- I'll be very honest. Um, I did not get a lot of Michigan hunting in Same. this year. Um, the reason being was, is just like the way schedules with work and everything else kind of played out this year was like, my wife was working a trade show that she was doing like when the opener happened. So you know what I mean? Um, then like that week, like I wasn't hunting And then we left from there when the kids got out for Thanksgiving, we went down to Arkansas and I ended up killing my buck in Arkansas. Go figure. So we come back and then we ended up doing more of like a deer drive with, you know, Brian and a group of other guys. Um, we had a great drive. It was fun. You know what I mean? Um, me and another guy tag team up on, you know, on one that came through. So that was, that was pretty fun. Um, you know, meeting the freezer, just more of a doe drive, but yeah, you know, kind of got out a couple more times here or there, but like nothing, you know, nothing crazy. I just felt like it was like, like I said, this year just did not line up with where we were with travel and everything else to get out and do a whole lot. Um, and I'll be honest too, like, October lines up so much more like I was traveling prior to going out West. Yeah. And then it's, um, then I get into the West thing. Right. Yeah. And then, and then I'm right back into more. And it's like, I think the fall is such a blur. I love it, but it's like, man, Every so it now it's like, it goes in the snap of a finger, man. Yeah. And now, and then we get into like, what I really like doing too, is like, as we get past, um, the, you know, the deer season is, is I like getting out with the kids yeah. and the dog and i like just doing the squirrel hunting the small game stuff too and just in more or less as much yeah there's yeah and much i think easier. it's more of just getting my kids out now more than it is me you yeah. know what i'm saying so i think that's what i'm trying to get more of um try to get the early youth season in trying to get some of the other and trying to work more on getting my kids the deer here back home um yeah. you know what i mean i think that's kind of where i'm I'm getting to. Yeah. The small game is, it's a great way to kind of spend some time in the winter to kind of get you through to shed season or turkey season, you know, whatever the case is. But man, your, your Michigan season sounds a lot like mine. We talked about, I started a new job of, of all times in like October 25th was my mm-hmm. first day at my new job. So I got out twice during archery season before opening weekend, which Traditionally, I've had I've I've had a lot of uh, good encounters that very, that opening weekend, and it was same thing. Uh, I missed opening day, October second. I was in a tree stand, 
and had like still a bachelor group of, you know, two and a half and three and a half year old bucks come out and the wind was in my face. So I don't know what exactly happened, but I, I kind of, one kind of came into my, my little window that I had and I decided he, you know, I knew there was two more deer behind him. I couldn't see, I could see one head antlers, but I never had a clear look. The third one I never saw. And I was like, nope, I, he's not what I want to take on October 2nd. So he, you know, kind of feeds and then starts working back to where he came from. And I'm kind of sitting on like back off this kind of corner of a field edge. And the second one comes out and the second, I'm like, he's bigger. And now he's starting to work, you know, much closer. And he got to probably 45 yards and was, you know, make, he was at the right angle. He was, he was starting to come in and just hung up and kind of looked around and like, didn't like something. And then just, mm-hmm. he, he took off upwind, you know? So it's like, he didn't smell me because he ran back to where my scent was coming from unless it swirled. And, you know, I just didn't notice, but it wasn't, you know, a real heavy breeze or anything. And then I got out probably mid October, didn't hunt at all until November 12th and 13th. Yeah, that weekend before opening day, um, and saw three deer all weekend. We had, it was warm, so mm-hmm. it was just, yeah, it got warm. Yeah, yeah, it got warm. And now, granted, deer are still going to do what deer are going to do that time of year. But I just didn't have didn't have any luck. Missed the opener because it was you know during the weekday, and then same kind of thing. Like then you roll into Thanksgiving, and we were out of town for Thanksgiving, and I had like one last ditch effort. I was going to go out with my bow between Christmas and New Year's mm-hmm. and it just, it didn't materialize. It's like, you know, things come up, family's in town or, you know, all of a sudden it's, you know, my wife's like, Oh, Hey, I've, I made plans with some girlfriends. I'm going to be out for the night or something like that. It's yep. like, well, there goes, you know, potentially another opportunity. I just kind of, I kind of packed it in, you know, right after Christmas, I was like, just wasn't meant to be this year. And unfortunately I'm going to run out of meat here, here I, by the end of spring. I, I, I get it. Um, I will say, I know it's not the Michigan piece, but I had one of the cool, that Thanksgiving hunt that I got down in Arkansas. And I think I've told you before too, before I, before, um, before we moved from there, I bought my lifetime hunting license. Right. Yeah. So I hunt as that was the only reason why I I drew that elk tag in 2018 down there, you know, all that. Um, but I go back and hunt, which is great. Um, yeah. and then we just, we finished up, we built a place down there. So we now have a place down in Arkansas oh, in the Ozarks. Awesome. Um, and we've now got like an Airbnb VRBO down there, Perfect. um, to rent out. So, but we have land, we have a couple acres and then it's surrounded by public on three sides. Um, but then there down there too, the first two weekends are open on a lot of the WMA, the public stuff, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? That you can go into. And a lot of them are like hike-in, backcountry type stuff. And that's what we did is I, we hiked in about a mile and a half in there. And I got up on top of this ridge on this flat. And I just – I was walking through. And it was kind of like I just went super slow and still. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. It was about, you know, 18, 19 degrees that morning. Right? Cool. Oh, it, yeah. it was crisp. Brisk. Yeah. And perfect, but it was still. And, and I knew it was good when – I had settled down long enough that the squirrels went back to feeding and were milling around while I was still kind of creeping through the woods. Yeah. So I, I don't do hardly any tree stand hunting. I am on the ground, typically do everything off the ground. Right. I like that. And that's the way I've always hunted is on the ground. I like to be fate in the face. You know what I mean? That's kind of the way I like to in do the it. Mix, absolutely. Yep. And that's the way I've always done. I've done, I bet I've killed 90% of my stuff still hunting. Right. 
And I get up on top of this ridge and I'm like, okay, I looked at this big opening as white oak, red oak, tons of white oak. And there's acorns everywhere. And I'm like, man, this is this is good stuff. So I get in there. Yes, I just basically got to a tree that was white, almost whiter than me. You know what I mean? Because in there, I just settled down. And I literally, I'm down there for not even 15 minutes. And I just hear, it sounds like a herd running through the woods. Okay. And I'm like, <laughs> man, I think there's some bucks chasing or something. Right. Yeah. And then I start hearing, bah, bah. And I'm just like, holy smokes, this is happening. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And so I literally take my uh, neck gator and I just pull it up all the way to, you know, up over my nose to where only my eye is exposed. I get in a thing about this position you would be in turkey hunting where you've got, you know, you're sitting down, you've already got your gun up, right? Yep. And I sat there just like this. I had eight does walk by me. How far? Okay like 30 yards. You know what I mean? On the ground. Yeah. On the ground. And they came through and they kept coming through. And then I see the buck come through behind. Right. And he's wide. He's ear width. You know what I mean? But he's not real tall. And I'm yeah. like, that's a, and I, I mean, I solid eight point. You know what I mean? And then he goes right behind a cedar tree and he's about 70, 75 yards out in front of me. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Well, about this time, we're back in an area with hardly any cell phone reception. I'd sent an in-reach message to my dad, okay? He's hunting further down the ridge and making kind of a loop back. And all of a sudden, my in-reach goes, beep, 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 beep. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> I didn't have the, the thing turned off. But, and I'm, at this point, I'm surrounded by deer. Yeah. So I've got deer that are behind me beside me and in front of me right and this doe starts oh yeah it starts doing the whole thing paw on the ground and i can feel it right behind me right and about this time a second buck comes through and he's starting to you know come through but he's kind of cool he's got a tall rack you know and i was like well that's cool (laughs) and he comes out and this buck he comes through and then you know how when deer think that they're hid because their head's hid. Yeah. But his whole body was exposed. all the vitals were exposed. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, Dummy. well, you're the, you're the guy for today. So yeah. So it was, uh, it was pretty cool. What was neat too was that was the first time in the woods with our 270 Walker. And I took a deer that day, which was awesome. really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's super cool to, you know, kind of see see the fruits of your labor come through right yeah, see it, it was, do what it's supposed to do you know behave in a way it's supposed to behave and and yeah to put one down especially back home with your dad out there with you like all all these different things you know like lining up i mean you know that's that's a super cool story man i i, I like that especially <laughs> the in the in reach going off i mean I, I bet you there's more stories out there like that than the one who was just like, oh, I was perfectly still. He came in and this and that. It's like, no, every every good deer story, elk story, whatever, has some type of bumble in it at some point. Right? The gig was up. It was up. <laughs> I, I knew, And I think that's even what I said to myself in my head is like, this is about to blow up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad it didn't. Yeah. Uh, Jared, before I let you get out of here, man, where can people find out more? I mean, Now's a great time to start looking into yeah. uh, potentially that custom rifle. So where can uh, people find out more? Yeah, for sure. I mean, look at the website, you know, flintridgerifles.com. Um, 
same thing, Instagram, um, email flintridgerifles at gmail or sales at flintridgerifles.com. Um, you can text me. My number is 517-304-4793. Text me, call me. Um, you know, I will, if I don't answer right then I'll get back with you. You know, I might be on another call or what have you. Um, but I'm always happy to put together a quote and something that would work with whatever their budget is. You know what I mean? And try to make something that will, you know, build them what we call attack driving generational acquisition. Yes. I love it. Jared Walker. Always good to catch up, man. I appreciate you joining me and uh, have a great rest of the day. Yeah, man. You too. Thank you.